Acts chapter 7. We're going to look at uh, verses 54 to 60, the end of the chapter, and then the first four verses of 8. So not a whole lot. So let me read it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed their teeth at Stephen with their uh, gnashed at Stephen with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, "Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God." Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of, young, of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen, or as they stoned Stephen, as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with the sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. So we are looking at Stephen's martyrdom uh, tonight, and... Uh, in one sense, we can think about this and think, oh, this is really sad. Stephen's the first Christian martyr, the first guy, in a sense, to die uh, for his faith in Jesus. And yet, really, what we're going to see is the positives of persecution, the good things that God does uh, by allowing this, by allowing his people to suffer. And it's interesting because, we, if you remember, we, we saw last week Stephen giving this really long sermon, basically overviewing the Scripture, to, to expose to this, these Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, to expose the hardness of their heart, to show them that they were actually resisting the work of the Spirit as he was testifying of Jesus. And so if you remember last week he had said in verse 51, he calls them out and he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And so he's not holding back whatsoever. He, he is really uh, confrontational in the situation. And that's partly because he had been falsely accused. These guys had, uh, Stephen was actually known as a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He had a great witness. His main ministry, if you remember from earlier in Acts chapter 6, was to, to pass out food to widows, <laughs> to make sure that the poorest of the poor were taken care of. And yet, because he was full of faith, because God was using him uh, to do many signs and wonders as he was going about his ministry, these guys... Well, they made up lies about him. They said that he was blaspheming Moses and speaking words against God and saying that Jesus uh, had said he was going to destroy the temple and so on and so forth. And so basically what happens is when, when Stephen calls them out with this, these guys are mad. When it says they're cut to the heart, don't think of the sense of inconviction like, oh man, yeah, he's got a point. Oh, I'm feeling really guilty. Think of anger. They're seething with anger. They're enraged. You know, it's like when someone gets caught out, or maybe this has happened to you, you've got caught doing something you shouldn't do, and you hate the fact you got caught, and you're so angry that you got caught, or the person that you catch is so angry that they got caught out. That's what these guys are like. And it's interesting because the Sanhedrin, this would be kind of like a group of local MPs. These are supposed to be distinguished local leaders. And they're just just, just about to effing blind, basically, about, about Stephen. They're so angry. But when this happens, 
Luke tells us that as, as they're so angry, it says that Stephen, he gazes in heaven, he gets this vision of Jesus. He sees Jesus in his glory. In fact, it says specifically that, um, that basically um, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazes in heaven and he sees the glory of God. Now, it's important to recognize that, that what's happening here is here's Stephen in this place where he's preached the gospel. He's preached Jesus to these guys. He is, he is just about to be martyred, and God gives him this grand vision, this revelation of the glory of Jesus. And that's one of the first benefits, one of the first positives about persecution. It, it helps us experience the glory of Jesus. It helps us see Jesus as he is. Now, I'm not saying that every person who's persecuted has this kind of a heavenly vision. But I am saying that, that what happens when a person is full of God's Spirit, walking in the power of God's Spirit, testifying of Jesus, that this is preparing them to see Jesus as He is, to see Him in a real special way. If we remember back in Acts 6-5, as we just mentioned, Stephen was set, when, he was, when they were talking about the choosing of the seven deacons, we might call them, Stephen was set apart as one who was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So this wasn't this experience of seeing, seeing Jesus. So the experience of having this heavenly vision was unique. The lifestyle that Stephen led was consistent. He was consistently someone who walked in the power of the Spirit. And, it, and it's important to recognize this because it's the fullness of the Spirit that reveals the glory of Jesus. This is why we want to be filled with the Spirit. We don't want to be filled with the Spirit so we can have grand experiences, though they'll come. We want to be filled with the Spirit because we want to see Jesus as He is. We want to experience His glory. And so he sees this picture of Jesus, uh, and it says that, um, uh, it says, he says to them, verse 56, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now Luke mentions twice this fact that Jesus was standing in this vision. That's important, because, see, over throughout the New Testament where there's a vision of Jesus, or it's spoken of Jesus, or Jesus would say of himself that he would be seated at the right hand of God, but here he is standing. Now, it's interesting because uh, when, we, when we hear Jesus talk about, or when he has talked about sitting at the right hand of God, the sense of him sitting at the, the right hand, that place of honor and power, is a place that Jesus sits, and him being seated there is a way to declare that uh, our position in Christ is secure because he's seated there. He's not just kind of there, kind of serving. He comes in and out of the presence of God. He's seated. It's his set position. That speaks of his security. So what about when you see Jesus standing? What about when, when Stephen sees Jesus standing? What does that speak of? Well, some say that this is uh, basically Jesus welcoming Stephen into heaven, like it's, it's time, man, time to come home which is pretty awesome. And, I, and I, I know one Bible teacher that I really respect uh, says that it was his conviction that this is the experience of every believer when they enter the heaven, that they see Christ standing with arms open wide saying, welcome home. But it also could be this idea that he's, he's wanting to say, come on, Stephen, you're almost there. Like he's, it's almost as if Stephen is running to the end of his race. He's just at the finish line. And it's like the crowd gets excited and stands up. You can do it. There he is. He's going to break the tape. And he's kind of cheering. He's cheering him on. Come on. Either way, it speaks of, I believe, Jesus standing speaks of uh, that, our, that, that, that our faith in him is going to be rewarded. 
that, that Stephen is seeing this vision because God wants to communicate to him something about the gloriousness, that he's going to see Jesus. He's going to be rewarded for his faith in him. Now, it's important that we understand this. This is part of why God allows suffering, including the suffering of persecution. It's because he desires for us to have a reward. He's, he's earning for us a reward, you might say. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5? He talks about, uh, Blessed are you when they persecute you for righteousness sake, for what great is your reward in heaven. But even now, even before we get to heaven, there's something about us when we're persecuted for Jesus, when people marginalize us or, or push us away or treat us badly because we're wanting to follow Jesus and declare Jesus, there's something about that that helps us see him and know him as he is. Paul talked about wanting this in Philippians 3. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Now, all of us would love to have the power of the resurrection, this, this power of, uh, of life that conquers death, but we forget that it's connected to the fellowship of his sufferings. That if we really want to see Jesus in his glory, if we want to experience the glory of Jesus, if we want to be close to Jesus, if we want to know Jesus as he is in his glory, then we need to be willing to, to experience the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And, and I've talked to a lot of, of, of saints, a lot of believers who have suffered. And I don't mean necessarily just in persecution. I mean maybe even a physical suffering. I think that God has just chosen not to heal them of. And, and they've asked them, say, how are you doing you know, with your walk? How are you going? And it's, it's, it's amazing how so many of these saints, when they're in their darkest place, when the, like I know this one woman that we are friends with in London, she has a, a severe uh, back problem, a degenerate uh, disease with her, uh, her discs. And they're just, she's getting worse and worse and worse. And it gets so painful. All she can do, really, is sort of just try to lay on a hard service to try to relieve some of the pain. I mean, it's just horrible. And, she said, I, and so we were talking about that. And she was being honest about the pain. But she also said, but you know, there's something about in that place when you're just crying out to God to know him. There's a sweetness in the fellowship. There's something about that when you're just suffering and saying, God, I don't know what else to do but to cry out to you. I have nothing right now except you. And she was talking about how sweet the fellowship is in that time. Now, I'm not saying this because I think God wants us to pursue suffering, our own suffering, or pursue our persecution. But we, we sometimes think, okay, God, whatever you do, please get me out of suffering. Don't let me you know, suffer for, for your namesake. And yet, we see in the book of Acts, these guys gloried in it. We see here with Stephen in the midst of it, he's seeing the glory of Jesus. He's experiencing the glory of Jesus. So as this happens, right, he's, he's being, uh, he sees this vision. It says in verse 57 that they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they ran at him with one accord. So as religious leaders, they, they hear him have this vision or they, they hear him say this vision that he says he's having and they hear him kind of glorifying Jesus as the Son of Man. They, they, they think that's blasphemy, so they cover their ears. Ah, we don't want to hear this blasphemy. And they run at, at him. And notice it says, with one accord. It's amazing how people often either unify around Jesus or unify against Jesus. And these guys are coming against him coming against Stephen because of Jesus. 
And so as they come charging at him, it says they took him, they cast him out of the city. They don't want to defile the place that they are with his blood. So they take him out of the city and they stone him with stones. Now it says that the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of the young man Saul. We'll talk about who the witnesses are and who Saul is in a minute. And it says, and they stoned Stephen, and as he was calling on God and saying, Lord, receive my spirit. Now, I want you to think about this for a second, because this is the second thing I think we want to understand as a positive of persecution. Not only does it help us experience the glory of Jesus, but it helps us or allows us to demonstrate the character of Jesus. Because here he is, here's Stephen, and, and, and like Jesus, Stephen was falsely condemned. If you, again, if you remember back in chapter 6, what they said about him, we mentioned this just earlier, how they, they secretly induced men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God, and of course, saying that Jesus of Nazareth would tear down the temple when that's not what he said. And so they, they falsely accused him. Now, these witnesses that are, that are being referred to here uh, are these false witnesses, these ones that sort of made these wrong accusations about him. Now, these would have needed to be the first ones to stone him. The Bible says, the law said in Deuteronomy chapter 17, 7, the hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all the people, so you shall put away the evil from among you. Now, God commanded this not just because he wanted to punish the evil, but also it was a way to call people to think about what they're about to do. Did you really witness this thing? Are you really so sure of your testimony of this person that you're willing to pick up the rock and chuck out his head till he's dead? Normal human compassion would say you either have to hate that person falsely or you have to be sure that they were guilty of that or you don't want to cast that first stone. And the fact that all the other people had to be involved was a way to say, okay, are we sure that this guy's worthy of death? Are we sure that we are in the same boat where we're worthy of death? This is where uh, it gets picked up in John 8 about where Jesus says, he who's without sin cast the first stone. See, the, the point is that like Jesus, Stephen was falsely condemned. But being condemned falsely means he's demonstrating the character of Jesus. Verse 59. It says, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, here Stephen is saying something very similar to what Jesus said when he was on the cross. Right? One of the last things Jesus said was, Lord, receive my spirit. And, and it, like Jesus, Stephen knew that this life uh, wasn't his end, wasn't the end, that death wasn't the end for him. He knew that. He was totally aware of that. And one of the greatest testimonies we can have in this day and age is one that we recognize that this life is not all there is to us. It's not our, the, the end all of our existence. And if we really believe that, that should be reflected in how we are. People should look at us and go, how is it that you're willing to sacrifice? You know, they get one life, man. Well, I do, but mine's eternal, so I'm okay. <laughs> how is it that you are willing to be treated badly? Aren't you afraid that you might lose your job. Well, no, because I know I have a God who will provide for me. How is it that you seem to be more concerned about investing in things that are with your church than investing in things that are just with yourself? Well, it's because I want to invest in what's going to be eternal. I want to see souls saved. Stephen had this mindset. He knew, like Jesus, he knew death wasn't his end. 
know, Jesus uh, talked to us about this, especially in light of persecution. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but can't kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for one copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus wanted his disciples to recognize, listen, you're so afraid, naturally, of dying. You're afraid, oh man, what if, what if this person kills me? What if it gets that bad? Hey, it's okay. You can't, they can't take your soul. And if your father cares about a little bird that's worth a half a penny, how much more does he care about you? How much more can you know that whatever suffering he allows in your hand, it's okay, because guess what? He has your soul forever. Then we read, of course, in verse 60, where it says, Then he knelt down, and he cried with a loud voice. Stephen cries with this loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Like Jesus, Stephen lovingly forgave his enemies. You know, we talk a lot about love as Jesus followers, don't we? And it's all about love. We've got to love God. We've got to love people. And it's so true. It is all about love. But the kind of love that Jesus calls us to, the kind of love where he said, or, you know, where he said, hey, be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect, the kind of love is loving your enemies. And you know what you need if you're going to love your enemies? Enemies. <laughs> you actually have to have people who treat you bad so that you can love them. Here he's saying, Father, don't charge him with this. I mean, I can't help but think about what happened this last week with those that were killed in the United States and that uh, the church in the South. And it's amazing just seeing some of the testimonies of those the, the children of the people that were killed. Just saying, we just, we just feel love. We just want to forgive. What a testimony. What a testimony to the work of God in their lives. See, sometimes we think, oh, I don't want to suffer. I just I want things to be easier for me. But often what happens is God allows us to suffer, especially at the, at the hands of unbelievers, that they might see firsthand the grace of God. They might see that grace of God by us saying, I'm going to love you even though you treat me bad. Jesus said, remember, when he was being crucified on the cross between two criminals, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So persecution, it helps us experience the glory of God. It allows us to demonstrate the character of God. But also, look at verse 1 of chapter 8. It motivates us to share the message of God. It says, now Saul was consenting to his death. Now, I'm sure you guys all know that this Saul is the guy that later on is going to be called Paul, Paul of Tarsus, that wrote most of the New Testament. And it was interesting when it says he was consenting, the idea there in the original language is more of he took pleasure in his death. It's the idea that he's standing, he's not throwing the stones, but he's standing there holding the, the coats of these people so they don't, get, they don't get dirt and blood on their coats. And he's kind of going, yeah, <laughs> get him, get him. Destroy that blasphemer. He deserves this punishment. And it's interesting because we'll see in the book of Acts that, that's, that uh, Paul will mention this in his testimony. He'll talk about how he, he loved throwing people in the prison and how he was there consenting to Stephen's death. And, and you get this, this sense that this was something that really haunted him. I'm sure Paul knew that he was forgiven, but you can't help but think, is this what motivated Paul to say, I'm the chief of sinners? Because I took joy in killing Christians. 
he knew what he did. Anyway, he consented in his death at this time. He's before he's a Christian, obviously. And it says, And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region to Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So what happens is, as Paul stands there, and as, as, um, or as Stephen is martyred, it, it kind of whips up this religious frenzy. People realize, hey, we think these Christians are dangerous. And so we, they decided they're going to start being persecuted. It stirs up this whole, triggers this whole general persecution against the church. But then Luke tells us this really interesting thing. It says in verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. It's interesting because devout men seems to be a reference not to believers, because they've been mostly scattered except for the apostles, but it seems to be a phrase that would refer to uh, devout Jewish men. Maybe people that respected Stephen as a man who was a solid man of God, who was zealous for God, and, and who was unjustly punished. And if that is really what's going on here, think about that witness. These guys who aren't believers in Jesus see this man who knows his Bible preaching with boldness in front of the Sanhedrin, and then sees this man killed for his faith, and as he's killed for his faith... I'm sure echoing in their words, as Stephen says, Lord, receive my spirit, as Stephen says, Father, forgive them, echoing in their words are also the words of Jesus. And they're thinking, what's the deal with this guy? And it's planting a seed. He's, he's being honored by devout men, by unbelievers. And it says, as for Saul, what happens? Saul makes havoc of the church. He enters the house. He drags off men and women. He commits them to prison. And so you would think at this point it would say, and the church had another prayer meeting and said, Lord, please, we need boldness. But Luke just goes right to the, to the result. Luke says, okay, here's what happened. They got scattered and what happened? Therefore, they were scattered and went everywhere preaching the word. Now remember, Jesus had said to them, wait in Jerusalem till you're endured with power from on high and you'll preach the gospel in, in Jerusalem and where else? Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. So what's happening here? They're being forced to go out to <laughs> Judea, Samaria, and we'll see soon to the ends of the world. In other words, Saul's persecution of the church is actually propelling the church into mission. It's motivating them to say, you know what? We can't stay where we are, so since we're gone, new people to share Jesus with. New people to share Jesus with. Thinking about Brother Saeed. And we do want to pray that God brings him home. I think we should pray for that. I think we should pray that he uh, be freed as well as the other prisoners that are there and around the world. But we want to be praying for him as well, that, that God would strengthen him, that he might experience the glory of Jesus there in prison. We want to pray that he would continue to demonstrate the character of Jesus. We've heard that testimony from him. We want to pray that he has strength to do that. That he has the motivation to continue to share the message of Jesus. That's what brought him back there. He knew there was a chance that he'd go to prison, a good chance he'd go to prison if he went back, saw the orphanages that he helped start, saw the believers that he helped disciple. He knew there was a chance they'd throw him in the prison. But he was motivated to share the message. We need to pray for guys like them, brothers and sisters like that, that are being persecuted. And for ourselves, we need to pray that we would desire to see God as He is, to show God as He is, and to share God as He is, to the point that we're even willing to be persecuted for it.